We all have questions about the Bible. At Milwaukee Chi Alpha, we want to take the questions we have about the Old Testament and use them to get us closer to Jesus and what we're calling the XA Learning Hour. And we strongly believe that if God is real, if what we believe is true, our questions will lead us back to Him. So let's start this journey in the XA Learning Hour, questioning the Old Testament. All right, well, welcome to episode fill-in-the-blank of Q-Tot. We're going to be going through uh, how to read biblical prophecy, specifically the books of the prophets. Um, so that's our that's our topic today, and uh, that question of what yeah what do we do with them? How do we read them? Um, and uh, as usual, we have a few disclaimers to begin with because <laughs> we are not experts on all of this. Um, so we're we're just going to scratch the surface today, um, and I hope it whets your appetite to know more um, to dig into the prophets. Um, and, and on top of that, even as we like are dissect, dissecting these books and um, kind of like removing some of the mystery of it or the comple- the confusion around it, my hope is that you will, you'll come to understand the Bible so that you can read it and receive it and not uh, see it as like, oh, that's what it is. I don't need that. Um, that's not the point of today, um, nor is it do we want to lose any sort of like as we uh, understand it as literature and the devices used that we would... We don't want to lose that this is a treasure um, for us from God himself. Like God has spoken through these prophets to his people, and they have been preserved for us to receive um, from God. And so um, as we are dissecting today and asking questions today, my hope is that it would, it would uh, put in your own heart a longing and a desire to know his word, in the prophets, um, and uh, and you would have the tools and the right perspective to know how to engage them. Okay, so that's where we're going today. Um, a couple of resources I did use, um, if you want to do your own reading, um, How to Read the Bible for All It's Worth by Gordon Fee. Um, super good book. They have a really great chapter succinct on, on how to read the prophets, um, as well as every other part of the Bible. So that's just a good book, just generally, if you want to understand how to read your Bible for all it's worth. Um, And the other resource I used quite a bit was the Bible Project podcasts on prophecy. Um, They have some some great uh, conversation about how to engage the prophets and what's really going on. Um, So let me pray and then we'll we'll jump in. Um, Jesus, thank you so much for uh, all you've done for us. And thank you for your word. Um, Lord, as we uh, dive into this topic of reading the prophets, um, that you would help us see you and see what you want us to see in your word, that we too could treasure it and delight in what you have for us. In your name we pray. Amen. Yeah. <coughs> Excuse me. All right. So uh, first kind of place we want to start is is just grappling with what the function of the prophets is and what what the what we do with their prophecy what was essentially why are there prophets in the bible and why do we have these books um so uh oftentimes we we kind of assume prophecy means some sort of like future uh telling the future 
um, which definitely is connected to it. However, the basic concept of what a prophet is, is someone who speaks for God to uh, the people, right? So he is uh, the, the prophet, him or her, is like a herald, a spokesman um, for God. Um, often you'll see in the books of the prophets, the word of the Lord came to Isaiah, and then he says this, and, and he begins to speak on behalf of God. That is what prophecy literally means. It's someone who speaks on behalf of God. Um, and the archetype of this, the, the origination of this, is actually Moses. Um, in, in Exodus, we see God speaking to Moses and telling Moses, you are going to go to uh, back to Egypt, and you're going to speak on my behalf. And and in that conversation where Moses is like, I'm not sure what to do about that. I don't. I'm not. I'm not very good at speaking. And then uh, God says, Well, Aaron's going to come, and you're going to be like God, and he's going to be your prophet, and he's going to speak to Moses. But it's going to be you speaking. And so like he's defining for us what prophecy really is. It's this spokesperson. You speak through. God is speaking through the prophets to the people. Okay, that is at its base what it means. Um, so uh, though it, it often does include what's about to happen as God is speaking to the people in that way, it's like it is telling the future what will happen. But um, it's most often God warning his people about current or soon to be realized events. Very rarely is it actually about distant future un, uh, things yet to be seen, understood prophecies. Um, we're going to come back to that in a little bit of what we make of those kinds of prophecies and how many there are in our Bible. Um, another thing to note here is we have um, 16 pro- uh, prophetic books. Uh, we have the four major prophets and the 12 minor prophets, um, but there are many more than those prophets um, in our Bible, Um, and so often we think the prophets were only those who wrote books. Uh, However, there were many others. uh, To name some of the the more notable ones, Elijah and Elisha were prophets. We don't have any of their books. uh, We have their actions. We have what they did. Um, And so just because uh, we might see prophet as someone who spoke something and wrote something to people, we also see prophets who acted and lived in and among people like Elijah or Elisha or Deborah. She's listed as a prophetess and um, as well as a whole bunch of others, uh, Nathan, Gad, King Saul is also listed among the prophets. There's a whole big deal about that. Um, Even uh, King David and King Solomon are considered as well because of the things they they did, like the Psalms in particular from King David. Um, So we have a lot of people who operated in this prophetic role God speaking to them, through them, to the people um, who didn't write down uh, a book. Um, But they are present throughout the entire narrative of the Bible. But the ones we do have their books, um, like Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, um, all those those guys, I could list them all um, for you. They were not, they were ones whom God had them. They wrote something and gave it to the people. And it's almost, and a lot of them, are, especially the longer ones, are almost a collection of all the things they taught and said over their years of their ministry as prophets, like specifically Jeremiah, which uh, the Bible Project was saying that's actually the longest book in the Bible is the book of Jeremiah. It's longer than the Psalms word for word, which I thought was interesting. Uh, made me want to go look at it. Um, but nonetheless, it's really long. 
and it doesn't read very easily. Um, it jumps around all over the place, and uh, as some commentators have said, like it's not even in chronological order. It's like an anthology of all the things that Jeremiah said, did um, throughout his ministry, and it's a pretty wild book, and often really hard to like read it. Um, how 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 many of you have read through the the prophets? Or how many of you read through Jeremiah? Just specifically all of Jeremiah? Okay, yeah. Maybe, yeah, right. <laughs> Isaiah? How familiar? Isaiah? Okay, yeah, okay. Isaiah is one that's uh, a little more commonly um, uh, quoted and read, and we'll get to that in a few, uh, in a little bit um, for some obvious reasons. Um, but it also is a very long 66 chapters, and there's a lot of density to it and a lot of imagery in there that that's kind of be hard to uh to unpack sometimes um but my my main idea is here is that uh as we understand who the prophets were we're not just seeing those who wrote down something as god often we know about prophets and what they did um as much as we have words from the prophets um so that's worth noting um again these were the people whom god called to speak to the people on behalf. And uh, another thing that's worth noting was we're looking at who the prophets were. Many of them did not want to be a prophet. You can read Jeremiah's words. And he's like, he didn't want to do it. This was hard for him. He he described it as a fire inside of him, a consuming fire. But if he didn't say it, it, he he said it would burn him up. Like he could not contain it because it would destroy him. Like God could put this word, this prophecy, this message in his spirit to say to the people and it was weighty and heavy and hard and uh and there's this constant like this narrative about the prophets that they were unhappy people they were not liked people they they just seemed like they were just um yeah not people to be around not a life that we wanted to live um and as if you read their their stories you could you could see that pretty clearly. This is difficult for them to be a prophet. And yet God called them because he wanted to speak to his people. Um, and uh, so so I want, want us to kind of see the, the, what's difficult about reading these books. Um, because, uh, I mean, I think we often look at like Leviticus as like a really difficult book to read. Uh, the Bible Project points out, yeah, but that one's like 26 chapters long, and it's got some narrative in it. And, you know, you can get through some of the weird laws, but it's not too bad. <laughs> <laughs> Ezekiel, now that one, that one's weird. This is hard to follow. And there's no, like, there's no rhyme or reason. There's no main point. There's, not, there's no narrative. It's just, it's just a slog sometimes because you can't always see the, the beginning and the end of, of these, uh, like, oracles, these messages. Um, and so it, it kind of... It, the, the literary style is just hard to follow at times. Um, and then on top of that, we have this, this context issue that like we are not in that world. We're not in their events. We're not in their culture. We're not in their history. And so as they spoke into their world, as God spoke to them, through them, to their world, um, they're using lots of uh, uh, like images or terms or even places that are very unfamiliar to us. Um, when I say, oh, yeah, I met someone who's from the East Coast yesterday, and then I met someone from Texas, you know, like you immediately can call upon a few ideas like, okay, they might have been like that. Texas people, it might be like that. 
Um, and you can kind of make some deductions just because I said a name, uh, you know, where they're from. And we have, we have an understanding of that culture and some implications of where they might be from. But when we're so far removed from a culture like ancient Israel and the prophets are referring to places or phrases that like to us, they're, they're not our own. They become very difficult. So it's very, uh, it's, it's very understandable that the prophets are very hard to read through. On top of all that, they're written, they're written in poetry, Hebrew poetry, which has been translated out of its poetic flow into our English, which sometimes doesn't read as nice and fluid as the poetry might have been in its original language. So we have all of these like uphill battles in understanding the prophets and how we read them. Um, and, uh, and then beyond all of that, they're speaking about the covenant, the Old Testament covenant, which we also are less familiar with. This was, that was their, their uniting um, like culture their, as a people. They were the people of the covenant. And so when the prophets are speaking, they're referring to sometimes subtly, sometimes not so subtly, but we just can't pick it up. These references to Old Testament, Old Testament covenant language, um, different laws and different things that we just miss. But it would have been very um, understandable within their own world. So uh, all of these things make it difficult for us to read the prophets and see them as good and life-giving and from God and weighty and relevant, right? But we can understand them. They are really good. And I hope that as we go a little further, you'll begin to see why it's worth taking the time to unravel these books and understand them um, because they are still God's word for us, even if they weren't written to us. Um, does that make sense? Yeesh. <laughs> any, <laughs> yeesh. <laughs> any other, any questions regarding what I've just said? Cool. So um, I don't know how familiar you are with the timeline of um, the Old Testament prophets specifically. Um, as I mentioned before, the, the prophets show up all throughout the history of Israel, um, all throughout the Old Testament. They're, pop, they're popping up in different places throughout the whole narrative. However, all of these written prophets uh, fit within a specific window of their history. So it was from around B.C. 720 to 560-ish, I think is when um, the uh, exile happened. That's when Israel fell. Babylon conquered Israel and brought them into exile. So we have this tight window. It's not that tight. It's 180 years. But it's, you know, historically speaking of the nation that's, that's been around for a long time. All of these prophets fit within one kind of window. And they all have a very similar kind of tone and language. We've kind of already unpacked that just briefly. There was a tone of like, they were not liked. These people actually were not very much, uh, they weren't listened to in their day. Um, and in some ways, it kind of asks us, why do we have these books if people didn't listen to them? You know, uh, And you, as you go read them, you'll see the people did not want to hear what they had to say, um, which I think is pretty relatable, right? Because uh, if we can take a moment to examine what kind of message they had, their message was a sim- essentially hey, you have drifted away from God's command, God's covenant, God's way of life. You, are un- you have been unfaithful to the covenant that you as a people have com- committed yourselves to follow. 
You're breaking it. You need to turn back. These things you have been doing are wrong. You need to turn back to the covenant. Be faithful to God who's been faithful to you. That's a general message. And so you can imagine if someone comes along and tells you like, hey, you're doing this, you're doing all the things wrong. You need to stop doing that. These things that have become kind of normal to our life. We tend to push those people away. We tend to push those kind of voices away because for a bunch of we're not certain they're true. We don't certain that judgment's actually coming if we keep doing it. We're not certain that um, they're spot on, that they're actually hearing from God. They're, it's kind of hard sometimes to discern those voices. We have some of those voices today. There are people who get out on their social media and they make some statements about what's coming, you know, and I, I'm, you maybe have, have seen them. Um, and, and I'm going to guess that many people in ancient Israel felt the same. They just didn't really want to listen to them. At one point in, um, I read Second Kings recently, and there's a point where one of the kings says, oh, I don't want to listen to that. He never has anything good to, good to say to me. It's like, don't, don't have him. Come. If he comes in here, he's going to say something bad. He's got like 50 other prophets that are there, and they all encourage him and say nice things, but I don't want this other guy to come, right? <laughs> And, uh, and, and that king, that's king of the northern um, kingdom of Israel, um, he's meeting with the southern kingdom of Israel and Judah's king. And he's like, well, let's bring him in anyway, you know, because he's a prophet. Right? <laughs> we should probably listen to him. And he pronounces some sort of judgment that he's going to go to battle and, if, uh, and you're going to die in battle. Um, and so the king locks him up and says, well, you better wait here. And he says, if, if you come back, then I was wrong. I'm not a prophet. But he, that king goes and he dies, you know, so like that, key, that prophet was proved right. But you, you, you hear the tone of like, they didn't want to listen to him. They didn't like him because they were correcting them, calling out their unfaithfulness for what it really was. Um, I've lost myself in my notes, so give me a second to find where I was. I didn't have that whole thing on Second Kings put in my notes, but that was great. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. He starts out by being like, yeah. "You're gonna succeed, King." And he's like, "All right, I know you're lying to me. Tell me the truth." <laughs> yeah, you're gonna go die. You know, like basically that's it. <laughs> okay, so so all of these prophets are kind of within the same window of of um, it's essentially the fall of Israel. So Israel starts off kind of on a good note, although if you read it, there's still lots of flaws with. King David and King Solomon, but those are kind of the golden years of the kingdom of Israel. And then immediately civil war happens, um, and uh, uh, by the time Solomon's son becomes king, the kingdom split, and that, from that point on, they're in civil war basically for the next few hundred years, and uh, lots of interactions happen, but the northern kingdom in particular, like every single king that comes into power, um, like first and second Kings records all of them and, and all of them fail to like live up to this covenant standard of faithfulness to God. And so as this cycle of unfaithfulness to following and trusting and obeying God happens, and these people become further and further from the covenant, like the voices of the prophets just gets louder and louder and louder of, of God longing to call his people back into faithfulness. And so um, we have all of these books because they just kept getting louder as they got closer to this judgment that all of them kept referring to. All these prophets keep referring to, if you don't turn, we, the covenant says this is what's going to happen. And I think it's noteworthy that these, these prophets are not saying something new. 
They weren't ori- like their messages weren't original. They weren't bringing out something um, that had never heard, been heard before. They were just calling them back into the faithfulness that they knew um, God had called them to and warning them of the, um, the blessings or the curses that were going to come based on their actions. These were, this was not new information. You can go uh, look at Leviticus 26 and 27 about the blessings and the curses of uh, following or disobeying the covenant. And the prophets are simply reminding people of what they already know and have committed to follow. That God is longing to bring his people back into covenant faithfulness and their unrepentant, continued rebellion against him is what's making the voices of the prophets louder and louder and louder until the culmination of all their prophecies comes true in the exile. Um, Which, uh, that actually gets, uh, and the interesting part is because they these prophets weren't being listened to, right? They didn't turn from their sins and their idolatry. Um, they didn't turn from their uh, 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 unjust ways towards neighbors and the oppressed. They didn't listen to the prophets. And so it's interesting that these works were kept. But what happened was, is as we got to the exile and then after the exile, people began to realize the prophets were right. What they were saying was true. And these works then became deep treasures to un, like know God's heart and see like, oh, they, these, their prophecies were proved correct. Up until that point, they weren't sure. They didn't listen to it. Wrongfully slow. They should have trusted them, but their prophecies hadn't been fulfilled. And so kind of logically, although not justifiably, they didn't listen to them until their prophecies were proved correct. But once they were then they became, whoa, these, they, were, they were spot on. We should listen. We should go back. And they, they were compiling this, this stuff. And now we have all of these works of the prophets so that we too can look at their words and see God's voice in them calling these people back to covenant faithfulness. Just as they were, he was doing it all along. He's longing for his people to follow him, to trust him, to be faithful to him. And so uh, if we were to kind of unpack all of the prophecies in these books, um, these words from God, um, we would find that the majority of it was simply that, this calling back to covenant faithfulness. There's judgment coming based on the covenant. There's, there's curses that are impending based on your unfaithfulness to the covenant. Um, so that's the vast majority of it. Um, interestingly enough, as we kind of like, we have our own understanding of the prophecy in our Bible, only two per- or less than 2% was actually messianic in that relating directly to Jesus. Less than 2% of all the prophecies are relating to Jesus, um, which I found very fascinating. Um, and less than 5% are about the new covenant era, about things that were uh, about life with Jesus um, in the spirit. Um, and less than 1% is yet to be fulfilled at this point in our current culture. Um, That statistic, I think, is important to note because we still, we long to find out what in our Bible is yet, like what's about today, but it's less than 1% is yet to be fulfilled today. The vast majority majority of it was words given in that time about soon-to-be-realized events 
specifically the exile, as we were just talking about. So um, the exile came and went, and the, their messages were proved correct, um, proved true. And so they went back and looked at more, right? Like Isaiah's words were so, become so beautiful, and we're going to look at some of the other things he says in a moment. Um, so, so those statistics, I think, are, are, are noteworthy. As you are reading the, the books of the prophets, we're not looking at this and saying like, oh, okay, uh, what's, what's going to happen today? Oh, is this about today? Or is this about the U.S.? Is this about right? You're like, we, don't do that. Right? That's, not, that's not the point of these books. The point of these books was to call Israel back into covenant faithfulness because they were living in this covenant. They were breaking this covenant. Um, and, uh, and so as you're reading it um, and looking for that, you're going you're gonna to see that, that theme coming up, but you're going to see it um, through uh, a, a few different like literary styles. Uh, most often it's going to be directed at Israel or its kings or its regions or cities within Israel, um, which might take some time and some work to understand, is this a city in Israel or is this a neighboring country? Um, do some digging. Take the time to do it. Um, but uh, you'll, most often it was to uh, the, the people of Israel. Um, but as I said already, it was poetry. <laughs> so you're going to read this. It's like, it's a poem. Oh, it's about judgment. You know, like it's, a, it's kind of like, what does it mean by that? These images, right? Um, but there's uh, five different kind of like uh, major ways in which this poetry like worked itself out. Um, one was like a, a covenant lawsuit, like this scene, this allegory of God being like the judge and persecutor, and he's bringing his case presenting uh, to Israel, the defendant, like, here's, you have broken the covenant, you've broken it, and like acting as if the court scene, right? Um, so that's one way, and it's it's still written poetically, this is poetry, but that's the scene. Um, so you'll see that sometimes um, as God's helping Israel see that they have broken the terms. Um, you also see uh, what's called the woe uh, poetry, or um, uh, like, <laughs> whoa you nation whatever um and so it's like this lament word followed by the sin they've committed and the impending result of it right so like uh you, you see some emotion behind it like god is is has emotion woe to you like there's a lament to it um you'll also see uh promise poetry um that uh something like in that day and there'll be uh, uh, like radical change will happen. So um, you look for that kind of prophecy. That's a positive one. So it's not just negative. Prophecy doesn't just mean negative. It's, it's just God speaking through someone. Um, and uh, sometimes you'll see the prophets actually doing enactment prophecy, like some sort of action um, where like, Isaiah, I think, was naked, you know, for a period of time where it didn't work. <laughs> like, yeah. It's like three years. Yeah, it was like three years. And then he's <laughs> then he's got to do it again to, to enact another judgment. You know, it's like these weird things that God called them to not just like say, but to live out, to embody, right? Um, which is crazy. And uh, <laughs> But then the, the fifth one, and this is the most common one, is called the messenger speech. Um, this is the... Uh, the word of the Lord came to Isaiah, and then he speaks. As, as the messenger, he speaks this. Again, this is all, most often, poetry, but different ways in which, different ways in which we're, uh, he, they're speaking to written um, for the people. Um, and usually the messenger speech was in tandem with one of the other four um, ways of helping these people understand and see God's word. 
and then the, the messenger speech being the, the clarifying words to help them get it. Um, now, like I said, most of this was to Israel. However, we also see some prophecy to neighboring nations, which I think is really interesting because um, sometimes the, these prophets didn't always have relationships with these other nations. Um, and yet God gives them a word like Nahum is the entire book is a prophecy against Nineveh. Um, and uh, even in, you can go look through your book, you thumb through it, look at the headings and you'll see lots of them. Joel three, one through three is about nations for their actions against Israel and Judah during the exile. Like God is going to bring judgment on those who, uh, who acted horribly to them. Um, so he has these, uh, these words for other people as well. Um, and Isaiah in particular is Isaiah 13 through 24. Um, if you have your Bible, open that up and just thumb through Isaiah chapter 13 through chapter 24. And you'll notice a theme. Um, just looking at the headings, you'll notice, uh, it's like, he's just like marching around the neighborhood and uh, <laughs> prophecy against Babylon, and it goes on for a couple chapters. Prophecy against Moab for two chapters. Prophecy against Damascus for a chapter. Then against Cush. Then against Egypt. Um, then against Egypt and Cush. And then against Babylon. You know. And then against Edom and Arabia. And then to Jerusalem. You know. Like, and then against Tyre. So like this, this movement around the entire region, and then it culminates in chapter twenty-four against the entire earth. You know. <laughs> and so. Um, like, God has a word for all of creation, which I think is important for us to see. God isn't just speaking to the people of Israel as if he's, they're their only people. God has a, con- a concern for all people. Um, and specifically, if you look at Isaiah chapter 19, it starts with this, like, uh, prophecy against Egypt. And, and you get some really, like, uh, devastating language um, in that verse 16, in that day, the Egyptians will become weaklings, you know, <laughs> they will shudder with fear, right? These are like the, the major nations, the major players of the day. And yet there's prophecies coming that they're, they're going to, they're going to be destroyed. But then if you keep going at the end of that chapter, we also see a prophecy of hope. Verse 23, in that day, there will be a highway from Egypt to Assyria. The Assyrians will go up to Egypt and the and Egyptians to Assyria, um, and they will worship together. In that day, Israel will be the third among Egypt and Assyria, the blessing on the earth. Like this is a beautiful picture of God, like seeing these nations and restoring them and seeing them come into his community and worshiping God. Like, so these are not just prophecies against all these other nations, these terrible places, because God is God of all people. He's not just the God of Israel. And the prophets are helping us see God's heart. That though he has a concern for his people and the covenant that he has with them, he longs for them to hold to that covenant and bear witness to all nations that they would all see who God is. And these prophets help us broaden our perspective of how God is viewing people. And he see these words for other nations, though often our judgment because of their sin. They're also filled with hope. There's lots of hope for the nations. There's lot, God longs to bring all people into covenant relationship with him and it's all going to culminate in jesus which isaiah gets to later in the book but he also has strong words from like what's coming is destruction too for the for unfaithfulness that the costliness of rejecting god is really really heavy 
and we can't miss that. The prophets should make you uncomfortable. Though they're not words to you, we should be able to read them and see, wow, God, God's serious. He ain't messing around. And he calls his people to obey. He tells them what's going to happen if they don't. He's not being a vindictive, like psychotic ruler who's egotistical and narcissistic. He is a God who longs to help his people see what they were made for, that he is good and he knows what's wrong and evil. And he sees the lifestyles that are destructive. And he wants to call people out of that and bring them into it. And he says there are curses. There's brokenness that happens when we don't listen to him and trust him. Um, we can turn to him. And so the prophets are helping us see, even as he has a word for other people and other nations beyond the people he has a covenant with, he longs to bring all people into relationship with him. Um, does that make sense? Any questions on that content? How uh, would you, and maybe you'll get to this. Yeah. Um, a book like Isaiah that has all these prophecies and like you don't know like what's going on first time reading it how would you go about uh, giving advice to someone to better understand it yeah um, yeah we're we're gonna get there in a little bit but the main idea is like one don't assume it's just gonna come natural to understand it um, the Bible is a book that we all can learn to read um but books like isaiah take time to recognize uh the imagery the different terms and understanding what they're referring to um so it takes time and familiarity so having patience is really important um having a good bible dictionary or just you know having blue letter bible up if you know what blueletterbible.com is um, and being ready to search little things here and there, like what does this mean? What is this nation? Who are these people? Um, and take the time to do the work, you know, uh, as the How to Read the Bible for All It's Worth and the Bible Project kind of refer it almost like a, it's like a text. You have to treat it like a textbook at times. That you, it's not just gonna fluidly. You're just gonna get it. You're not gonna enjoy reading most textbooks. However, if you are willing to see the good of it and dig at it, you'll see a whole lot of depth and richness and you'll learn a ton um, by working through it, um, if that makes sense. So we'll come back to some more things that'll help us. Um, Also referencing, realizing that these words are not, like these aren't prophecies specifically written to us. We don't live in Egypt or Cush or Babylon. Um, So these are not, we don't read that and say, oh man, shoot, I'm I'm in trouble. Um, This is me, you know? However, What it should do is it should reveal the character of God and the concern of God for his people. That God is aware of what's happening in his world and he cares about what's happening in his world. And as we read them, we can be reminded of that truth. That we should see what things he does care about. He does care about being faithful to him. He wants us to be faithful to him. He does care about the actions of other people. He longs for his whole creation to be in right relationship with him, to be whole um, and to not love, go after other gods or self-centeredness. He cares about justice. So that, sh- that stuff should come out as you're reading it and to look for that. Don't read it as like, oh, I need to find out how I'm going to live my life today. Don't read Isaiah for, for that. Read Isaiah to know God. 
And that's why it's here. That's why we have it, is to know him and what he cares about. Um, you will get stuff out for your day as you read it. But if you're reading it through that lens, it'll be a whole lot easier. You'll see that's what God cares about. Oh, shoot, I should live with a little bit more concern of the oppressed as I walk around my campus, as I walk through my day, because God really cares about it in his in books of prophets. That makes sense. Cool. I just want to take a, a couple moment, moments then to talk about those small percentages of um, like prophecies that are unfulfilled or messianic prophecies, um, specifically on the messianic ones. Um, we've often quoted Spurgeon when he says like there's a road that leads to Christ in every passage, right? Every book of the, every, every word you can get to Christ. Um, and in Luke 24, Jesus tells the disciples on the Emmaus road that the whole book of the prophets and Mo, like, it's all about him. It's, it's him in all of it. Um, and so we read our Old Testament through the lens of Jesus. We look for him as we go. However, that doesn't mean every single prophecy is Jesus-centered. Is it? It's not always a prophecy about that Jesus is going to, like, culmination of. Yes, as you read it, you'll be able to see what God cares about, and that's going to get us to Jesus. You see the problem of our unfaithfulness and the problem of our broken hearts that, like, uh, that Jeremiah and Ezekiel spend a lot of time about. Our hearts are deeply flawed, and there are prophecies about Jesus there. There's just prophecies about the people there. But they help us see our need for Jesus. It helps us see our need for like um, someone to save us, for us to have a new heart. Helps us see the reality of our sin, how bad we are. Those all are roads to Jesus, even if they're not specifically prophecies about Jesus. Does that distinction make sense? I think that's really important as you're reading through the Old Testament and wanting to find Jesus under every nook and every rock. You know, like we want to find Jesus in our Old Testament. But that doesn't mean every word is about Jesus, if that makes sense. Is that, am I confusing anyone? Okay, great. <laughs> um, Jesus will be the culmination, and he is the fulfillment. He does fulfill our Old Testament, but sometimes indirectly, as, he, as the books of the prophets and our Old Testament is bringing up tensions about our relationship with God. Um, so there's that. And then also about... Prophecies yet to be fulfilled. Um, it's very, very minuscule. And I think some of us come from traditions that really love to find what is, what are these, what's going to happen in the future? What's the, when's the end times coming? What's that going to look like? And we look at um, Daniel and we look at other New Testament ones specifically um, to try and understand and discern uh, these prophecies for today. Um, and I and I would caution you uh, to not get too carried away with that kind of stuff, um, because there's a few things. One, these books were preserved because they were seen as having been true, not as not assuming they must be someday true. We kind of talked about that idea of like they became collections because they saw how like true they were about the exile. Um, uh, secondly, these books were understood understood in their time and culture and visions of things that look like today seem to hold very little weight um, if they were regarded so highly highly at the time so if they understood them it makes most logical sense that they were about their era not about some future distant thing 
I don't think we can look at some of the imagery in Ezekiel or Daniel or somewhere else. It's like, oh, that's, that's like a helicopter. Like, I don't think that God was giving visions of a helicopter to these prophets. I think they were, he was giving visions that made sense to them in their day. Um, and so when we are looking at prophecies, let's not make the assumption that these are visions depicting our day because they were held so highly regarded in their day. It made sense to them. It cannot, make, it cannot mean to us when it did not mean to them. Um, and, uh, and thirdly, their aim is concerned about faithfulness to God and his covenant, not about telling the future. Right? And so as we read the prophets, if you want to try to find and, and study on the things that are yet to be fulfilled, I didn't even make a list of those passages because I don't really think that's worth our time to really try to figure that out. The point is to be faithful to God. That's the main concern of the prophets and of our entire Bible is to be faithful, to, to turn to Jesus and to hold fast to him and trust him. Um, and when he calls and commands us to turn back, that we listen to him, that's what the prophets are telling us, not helping us make preparations for the, the future. That's not the point. Cool. Any other questions there? Does that bring up anything? Cool. So to summarize then, these, uh, uh, the Bible Project, put, Bible Project puts it this way, that these prophets were like covenant watchdogs <laughs> or even like lawyers um, between God and his people, that they were called to come and be his voice to the people, to speak to them and call them back. All right, that, that's what this is about. They were not radical social reformers, nor were they innovative spiritual thinkers. They were not bringing something new. They were reminding them of what they've already committed to. So as you read that, read the books of the prophets, remember that though they called them two social reforms, they were not really reforms. They were just calling them back to what God had originally wanted them to do. Um, it was not something new. They were not you know, innovating anything here. Um, any questions on that one? Yeah, I think that's, at least for me, that's good to note because it's like, I always feel like it's like uh, when you're reading the Bible, looking for like, like we've talked about like looking for nuggets or like something that's like, oh, it's got to go deeper. But like sometimes it's just, you just go back to what you already knew and just remind it of it or reframe yeah. it in a new way or something. Yeah. Calling us back to what we already know to trust and follow our God. So maybe as you are listening to all this, you might be wondering, do I need to read them then? <laughs> They're not written to me. Uh, but I hope you have uh, actually seen the good of this, that they are helping us see God's heart for people. He's calling people to obedience, to faithfulness, to trust, um, exposing our sin, exposing our self-centeredness, exposing our idolatry. This, these books will cut to your heart too. As you read them, just to know God. Um, don't read them to apply directly to your life for some golden nugget, something new, something uh, someone has never understood before, never seen before. Don't go looking for that kind of stuff. Jesus will reveal himself through his word. You will know God better, but just go and read him. Um, 
The, you must read your Bible. You must read the prophets. They're for all of us. They are scripture for us. Um, though they are difficult to, un- to understand, they are a witness for us of, of what happens when we disregard the covenant of God and his desire for his creation. Right? That, there are warnings here for us. We must um, heed them and know these books. And my guess is you'll come to love them. Like Isaiah, when uh, there's four, uh, they're called the servant songs or the suffering servant. And there's four of them. I, I only viewed really uh, uh, Isaiah 53 as like the golden one. It's so beautiful. But there's, there's three others um, culminating with 53. Um, if you want to write them down, they're Isaiah chapter 42, verse 1 through 4. Um, Isaiah 49, verse 1 through 6. Isaiah 50, verse 4 through 11, and then Isaiah 52, 13 through 15, or through 53, 12. Um, that one is basically all of chapter 53. But those are all these beautiful, these beautiful uh, pictures of Jesus. Jesus fulfills them, and they're about Jesus, even 400 years before him. Um, so you will come to cherish this book as you read it more, just to know God's heart. They will reveal his heart not only for these people, but for you as well. Um, Yeah, and they will help us see the costliness of rejecting God. So as you read them, read them to know God. Read them to see the narrative of the people of God so that you can understand, see how relatable they are. (laughs) It's so relatable to see how many times they just don't see it. They just don't. They just want to do their own thing. They're so untrusting of a critic's word. Um, They just want what's comfortable. They're prone to wander, to self-centeredness. Like, read it to see that. You'll see their, like, the relatability of the stubbornness of, of the people of Israel. And the prophets are correcting them. And you, you might feel the temptation of like, yeah, they're so terrible. Isaiah, you're right. You tell them. And then you realize, oh, wait, no, I did that today. I was self-centered like they are. You know, like read to see. See how they do that. See the people and how, and the, how relatable they really are. Um, and read them with patience, as I said before. Take your time. Go slow. If it doesn't make sense, don't just chalk it up like, I don't get it and move on. Um, if you have the time, take the time to go back and say, okay, what was confusing? I didn't know that term. I didn't know that country or that city. Is that, look for the footnotes. My Bible has all these footnotes in the middle. Um, if you have a Bible that has footnotes, follow the footnotes. A lot of them will be New Testament ones. You can follow the New Testament ones. A lot of them will be Old Testament where they go back to the law. Look at those, follow them, see what they're quoting. And you'll see that this is, what I'm saying is, it makes sense. Um, and then, yeah, like I just said, look, look for the New Testament connections um, and then read them simply to embrace them as God's word. Um, even if they're not directed at you, they are for us and for our life today as we get to know our God. with us live for the XA Learning Hour, come to the UWM Student Union, room W145 at 1.30 on Thursday.